We don't read too much about Jesus cursing or making negative pronouncements. As such, it's tempting to ignore such accounts or rationalize that he no longer does that or that it just doesn't apply to us. On the contrary, the rarity of such incidents should highlight the seriousness of such pronouncements. As much as we love the blessings, we must also heed the warnings. Hi, this is Hansen from Archipus Awakening, a ministry that's dedicated to the awakening of the saints that we may know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. And this is what Kingdom 101 is about. We revisit kingdom fundamentals to know Jesus our King, to embrace His kingdom, that we may receive and move on kingdom assignments according to His kingdom ways. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, as always, we want to hear you teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Will you speak clearly to each of our hearts so that we can respond rightly? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's read our passage for today. Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 to 22. Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves, and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. It's a short passage, just five verses about a fig tree with no figs, about curses and leaves, about how Jesus curses and leaves. Sounds straightforward, and yet quite a few things to figure out. As always, it's good to review the overview, the timeline, and then consider the context. In our study so far of Matthew chapter 21, Jesus enters Jerusalem. He goes into the temple and does some housekeeping. He leaves Jerusalem and lodges in Bethany for the night. The next day, he heads for Jerusalem again. Now, between Bethany and Jerusalem, he curses the fig tree that had no figs. Immediately, we read, the tree with us. The disciples ask, and Jesus provides a teaching about faith and prayer. After that, Jesus enters the temple again and is confronted by the leaders who challenges his authority. At a glance, it looks like just two days. But in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 11, we get a better idea of the timeline. Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He goes into the temple, but only for a look around. It was late, so he leaves Jerusalem and lodges in Bethany for the night. Now the next day, that's Monday, Jesus heads for Jerusalem again. On the way, he sees and curses the fig tree that had no figs. Now he goes into the temple and he does the housekeeping. Now the next day, Tuesday, Jesus goes to Jerusalem again. They see the same fig tree with it. The disciples ask and Jesus provides a teaching about faith and prayer. 
After that, Jesus goes to the temple once more. He's confronted by the leaders who challenges his authority. I want you to see and note a very important observation. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus curses the fig tree and then he proceeds to cleanse the temple. The fig tree cursing prefigures the temple cleansing. But in Matthew, he rearranges the material. The temple cleansing comes first and then followed by the cursing of the fig tree. Now, very possibly, Matthew was wanting to demonstrate Messiah's focus on housekeeping. In this case, then, you see that the fig tree cursing is positioned as an explanation of the temple cleansing. But whichever the case, here is the main point of this overview. The cursing of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple are very closely related. The interpretation of this passage must remember this and take this into account. And so with this backdrop, we see that this passage presents a warning against fruitlessness and also provides the way to fruitfulness. Let's get into part 1 by reviewing the verses 18 and 19 once more. Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. Nothing but leaves. Let's consider first the two types of figs that we find in Israel. There is a main crop that ripens in August, but it was Passover season and that was March and April. And this was what Mark meant when he recorded in his gospel, it was not the season for figs. It was not for the main crop. See, in the late March or early April during Passover, there would only be the second type of figs. And these would be the early figs. Now, some of these would ripen and they would be gathered in June. But most would fall off before it was even perfected, leaving only green leaves. Now, these early figs were rarely eaten because it did not taste good. But someone who was very hungry couldn't care too much about the taste and he or she would just eat them anyway. But here's the one thing to note. A leafy tree, if it lacked such early figs, would bear no figs for the rest of that year. So we see that Jesus was not unreasonable to expect to find figs. In fact, Jesus went to this tree precisely because there were leaves. Jesus was not looking to find fault. He was looking to find fruit. However, he found nothing but leaves. There was a presence of leaves, but an absence of fruit. The leaves on this fig tree would advertise that it was actually indeed bearing. But however, this advertisement was false. Even more critically, the absence of early fruit indicated an implied the absence of any fruit that would come even later. Nothing but leaves. Now let's remember, this account is closely related to the cleansing of the temple. Jesus' housekeeping was against the commercialization, the corruption, consumerism, the complacency, the compromise, the clubbish, the closeness, or the closedness of this temple. There was a lot of religious rituals, a lot of practices, and a lot of activities, can we say? A lot of religious and spiritual leaves 
but there was no fruit. At a glance, lots were happening and taking place. The presence of these leaves, the spiritual leaves, should indicate the presence of fruit. And if not the main crop, there should at least be early figs, early fruit to feed those who were needy and hungry. But if it was just nothing but leaves, then it was just an outward show with nothing else to offer. Does this sound familiar? Paul later in his letter would warn against a form of godliness, but nothing to show for it. A lot of leaves, but nothing but leaves, and yet no fruit. Now this is something we have to ponder. How are we as the church today? Are we leafy leafy? How am I, how are you with your own spiritual life? Do we have lots of things and yet no fruit to show? It's very easy and also extremely tempting to hide behind leaves. I remember back in the army, one of the first things we learned was how to camouflage with leaves. To conceal ourselves from the enemy, we were taught to cover ourselves, to camouflage with these leaves that we would pluck from the shrubs and the trees around us. Funny thing is, it's totally biblical. We must have learned it from Adam and Eve. When they sinned against God in the garden, they covered themselves with what? Fig leaves. Yet these only concealed us as soldiers, but offered no protection from the bullets that would come. And so in the same way, God sees through all our leafy cover-ups. We may be able to impress others, but we just cannot hide from the Lord. In fact, Jesus said to the church in Sardis, Revelations chapter 3, verse 1, I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. What does it mean? Paraphrase this. I know, I can see lots of leaves. You've got a great reputation for doing lots of things, but there really is no fruit. Jesus expects fruit and he curses fruitlessness. He goes to a tree, he sees it, nothing on it but leaves. And he says to this fig tree, let no fruit grow on you ever again. If nothing but leaves represent fruitlessness, then the curse upon the presence of leaves is a curse against fruitlessness of that tree. More precisely, Jesus curses the hypocrisy of those who make a show of the spiritual life with nothing to show for it, the presence of leaves, but the absence of fruit. Now specifically, it was targeted at religious leaders. Remember the temple cleansing? The Jewish leaders in the context of Matthew are the primary targets because they advertise piety without producing true righteousness. Now generally, it was targeted also at the people of God, at Israel as kingdom people. Now we must take heed because today we are God's kingdom people. Here's the truth. God hates hypocrisy. The English word hypocrite appears 34 times in the New King James Version, now out of which 21 times are found in the New Testament, and alone in Matthew 15 times. Now that's a lot. 
This will be a major theme and accusation when Jesus confronts the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23. In that chapter alone, seven times we see this word, hypocrite. And these are also directed to disciples and servants of Jesus when he comes to Matthew chapter 24, verse 51. So by definition, a hypocrite is one who has lots of leaves, but he has no fruit. We can't imagine Jesus cursing. Well, then you haven't read your Bible fully or accurately. These curses are recorded as warnings to God's people that the judgment awaits those who do not bear fruit. Those who claim to be pious, to be spiritual, or that we are better, more matured, we should be producing the fruit, or we too will fall under the Lord's judgment. Well, if you're still not convinced of Jesus' expectation of fruitfulness, allow me to share some scriptures to gently persuade you. Go through the Old Testament again. It is full of imageries about trees bearing fruit. Just look at Psalm 1 or Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 to 8. In the New Testament, John the Baptist told God's people that they were expected to bear fruit worthy of repentance. And if we don't do that, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, this is New Testament. But in case you still think that John Baptist is a carryover of the Old Testament, let's listen to the words of Jesus. He expects good fruit from good trees, or else. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In the parables of the kingdom in Matthew chapter 13, he is praying for seed to fall on good ground because he expects these to bear fruit, to produce some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. How about disciples? You and I. Jesus expects his disciples to bear fruit, or else. John chapter 15, the very famous passage about the vine and the branches. He says, I want you to be bearing fruit, not just some fruit, but much fruit. And you have to abide in me, otherwise you will not be able to do this. In verse 6 or 15, it says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Well, I hope you're convinced now. Jesus expects fruit. God expects fruit from his kingdom people. But what is this fruit exactly? Well, in my study, I realized that I can categorize them into two broad types of fruit. Now, very quickly, first I call it the fruit of maturity and then the fruit of ministry. Now, what is the fruit of maturity? Well, we expect to grow and we are to grow and produce the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is going to take time. The more we become like Jesus, the more we bear the fruit of what He is like. The Bible tells us also of the fruit towards holiness, the fruit of righteousness, or the fruit of our lips where we give praise and where we give thanks. The fruit of maturity is really about aligning 
to the person of Jesus, becoming like the person of Christ. Now, the fruit of ministry would be then the assignments, is it not? The impact of our lives on others or the influence of the kingdom. You know, when the tree grows fruit, the tree does not eat the fruit that he or she produces itself. But the fruit is really for others that come along the way. And so our assignments are for that very, very purpose, to bring impact and to bring influence, the fruit of our lives in the impact and influence of the lives of others. So two broad categories, and I will encourage you to study this for yourself. Now let's consider this. If fruitlessness is cursed of God, then fruitfulness is blessed and rewarded by God. I pray that that would be encouragement for us to live rightly and to respond well to Jesus' expectation of fruitfulness. Cursing the fig tree, Jesus said, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Wow, such a hard and harsh line. Was Jesus just hangry, you know, hungry and angry? And so he just belted out whatever was in his heart or in his mind. And after that, he goes on and he throws a temple tantrum. Jesus curses and he leaves. It seems so ungracious, so final. Now we need to remember again and consider how the cleansing and cursing accounts are closely related. And I want to remind you, with the temple, God was very patient, very gracious. He gave many warnings and chances to Israel and to her leaders. There were many housekeeping sessions over and over again until a final housekeeping that brought the end to the temple system or the temple cult. For this, we have to also consider another parable about the fig tree. We find this in Luke chapter 13, verses 6 to 9. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit, and he found none. And then he said to the keeper of this vineyard, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. See, when we consider these together, we see again that God is so gracious. God is so patient with us, His house, His temple. The same warnings and chances are given over and over again until there is no more chance to bear any fruit and the judgment of works will then come or lack of works. It's not about being busy or being churchy with all the things that we do, the religious practices, all the Christian activities. Please be reminded once more, busyness does not necessarily mean fruitfulness. We are to be engaged purposefully in the work of the kingdom to know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. See, if we say that we are awake and that we must be aligned, and if we are aligned, we must be assigned. And in and through our assignments, we must consistently check if we are indeed bearing fruit of maturity and of ministry. 
Jesus' cursing and leaving of the fig tree is akin to his pronouncement of the end of the temple system and leaving it then to its own destruction and demise. Please remember, God is gracious, but he is also there to call to account and to judge. We need to learn to hold this tension between his grace, his patience, and his judgment. Remember, love the blessings, but heed the warnings. Finally, no one can claim ignorance or accuse God of not having warned or awakened, or that he was not patient or gracious. Those who do not bear fruit as expected will similarly be subjected to the consequences. See, the choice is ours, how we want to live and how we want to respond. I know this is not nice to hear or even popular to preach. Thankfully, the account does not end on such a dreary note. Jesus curses and leaves the figless fig tree, but he does not leave us to figure things out on our own. Having noted the warning against fruitlessness, we will now consider the way to fruitfulness. Matthew chapter 21, verses 20 to 22. In the second part, the disciples see the fig tree and wonder, how did it wither away so quickly? Jesus proceeds then to teach them a lesson about prayer and faith and receiving when we believe. But here we ask a question, what is this faith for? Is it for whatever things we want? Now, taken on its own, these verses have been used and also misused for making the case that as long as you believe, you have faith, you can ask for anything you want and you can get it. Just name it and claim it. While I do not disagree with the faith principle of such a position, the prayer of faith is indeed right and must be encouraged. I must caution against an unhealthy understanding or stretching of such a teaching. For one, it does not support blank check prayers. For another, it disregards entirely the context which we have been considering. As we've already determined in the first part, the indictment was against hypocrisy and fruitlessness. These next verses go on then to provide the key, the key to fruitfulness, through prayer and with faith. I believe this was why Matthew arranged the material in such a way, merging both the cursing and the withering of the fig tree as one unit. His focus was to apply this general prayer and faith principle more specifically to praying against hypocrisy and barriers to fruitlessness. It's not just praying with faith to get whatever we want. It's praying with faith for fruit and fruitfulness. This is the key we must not miss. Let's look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 21, a little bit more closely. Now, what was done to this figless fig tree? It was a judgment against complacency and barrenness. There are many references in the Old Testament of God warning His people. Jeremiah 8 verse 13 is one such example. If you are not going to be bearing fruit, I will definitely make sure you don't bear ever again. And so this phrase, let no fruit grow on you ever again, it foreshadows the end of the temple system. 
Now, how about casting this mountain? What is this mountain all about? Well, it depends which direction they were facing where they were. It could be they were looking at the Mount of Olives. And if such the case, then it would be figurative, referring to the challenges in life that this huge mountain can then be cast into the sea. Or if they were facing the other way, it could be then the Temple Mount. And if that's such a case, then it would be symbolic that this temple mount, the temple system, it refers to the end of this. It will be cast away and thrown into the sea. And once more, we see it's very, very consistent in the way we understand the context. But which one would it be referring to? May I suggest to you that it might both be the challenge as well as the temple. Because the words that we see from Jesus might have been an allusion to Zechariah chapter 4, verses 6 to 9, about Zerubbabel having challenges and obstacles in building the temple, well, that was compared to a mountain. And then the Spirit of God would bring the obstacles down. The mountain shall become a plain. Now, if we apply it to Jesus, the temple, as well as its challenges, Jesus seemingly faced an impossible task of reforming the Jewish temple system. However, by the Spirit of God, this temple, this mountain will be removed and be cast into the sea. And specifically, they could see the Dead Sea. And whatever is dead belongs to the Dead Sea. Jesus himself will lay then a new foundation with his own life. He himself will be the chief cornerstone. And by the Spirit of God, a new temple will be raised through a people of faith. And therein lies the way to fruitfulness. Through this little teaching on prayer and faith, Jesus was making an extremely bold and radical statement. The way to God will no longer be through a religious, ritualistic, and even a cultic type of temple system. Instead, a new and living way will be opened directly to God through Jesus Christ himself, always accessible through faith and prayer in his name. The key and the way to fruitfulness is made possible through faith and prayer, through an abiding relationship with Christ. See, what appears functional is first and foremost relational. Fruitfulness is a natural outcome of any branch that abides in the vine. Remember also the relationship between faith and works. Or can I say, obedience. For sure, when we believe, we will receive. But in the same way, when we pray, we must also obey. This is a very short passage, but packed with so many things. In just five verses, Jesus curses and leaves, and then teaches the disciples how to believe and receive. It's not two separate teachings, but one big picture. As we have seen, the cursing of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple are both very closely related, leading then to the lesson on prayer and faith. This teaching presents both a warning against fruitlessness as well as provides the way to fruitfulness. Allow me to summarize everything into five key points and perhaps suggest a few practical applications. Number one, fruit is expected. 
I hope you're convinced by now that Jesus expects all of us to bear fruit, good fruit, much fruit. Review the scriptures again, both Old and New Testament, and see the repeated mentions of fruit in the lives of kingdom people. And especially if you are a leader, it would do us well, it would do you well to take note of this expectation and warning of our Lord Jesus. Remember, there are two broad categories of fruit. There's the fruit of maturity, which speaks of alignment to who God is and to become more and more like Jesus, as well as the fruit of ministry, which is our assignment to bring impact and influence into the lives of others. Number two, fruitlessness will be judged. Now, God is very patient and gracious. He will give many, many chances. In the end, we must give account for fruit or the lack of. As long as we do our part, God provides both the opportunities and His grace for us to be fruitful. Let's not play church or simply just put on a show that we have nothing but leaves to show. When we stand before Jesus to give account, we cannot give any excuse or claim that we never knew His expectation for fruitfulness. The consequences have been made known to us. We make a decision how we want to live for Jesus to bear fruit. Number three, God hates hypocrisy. God is not mocked. God is not impressed with lots of luscious leaves. Don't try to hide behind these leaves or try to cover up. God sees through everything. As such, it's always good to take stock, to check our own alignment or our misalignments. Examine ourselves to see if we may be hypocritical with outward shows of religion or the way we just talk, 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 but nothing really to show for it or the forms of godliness that would be so easy to put forth. But in the end, we have no fruit to show. Hypocrisy is a main theme as we head into the next teachings. Let's be sensitive in our hearts for the Holy Spirit to point hypocrisy out to us in case we may be that leafy with nothing to show and still not be aware of it. Number four, remove challenges to fruitfulness. You know, for the church as a corporate body, I know we can be very aware of how tradition or institution can lull one into slumber, complacency, or even presumption. We've got to cast the dead stuff into the dead sea. Now, the removal of what may be so entrenched might seem a little bit impossible. But I believe with prayer and by faith, anything is possible. And sometimes, instead of fighting against it, God would just leave it and move around it because His kingdom is still advancing and nothing is going to stop that tradition or institution. Let's learn to move with God instead of trying to fight the system. Let's pray for things to be removed by faith, but at the same time be personally responsible for our own spiritual growth and to go on to perfection and to move forward with the Lord that we may bear fruit for Him. Now, on a personal note, let's learn to discern Christian activities from 
kingdom assignments. Because busyness doesn't really necessarily mean fruitfulness. Don't just be happy that you have things to do. I think we want to move on the assignments that the Lord gives to us. In this regard, pray to remove anything that stands in the way of Jesus and His kingdom. Pray against the distractions that are all over us. Pray against the stones in the ground as well as the thorns that choke the word and the life of the kingdom out. Pray for God to remove, to prune, you know, to get rid of the excess leaves that might be taking away the nutrients of what God wants to use to bear fruit so that we can bear not just a little fruit, but we can have more fruit and also much fruit. Number five, faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. It all begins with being awakened and then being aligned and after that being assigned. See, all the while we are abiding in the true vine who is Jesus. Because it's so clear, apart from Jesus, apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. And this nothing is that we cannot bear fruit that would last. We can do a lot of little things and a lot of things that may not matter very much, but we cannot bear fruit apart from Jesus by His Holy Spirit. I encourage you, start where you are. Be faithful in the small things because this will prepare you to be faithful and fruitful in the larger things. We need to have faith and faithfulness in and through our assignments because whatever you do, wherever you are, whatever you need, pray with faith to be faithful and fruitful. Faith is required to be patient, to endure, to persevere, to remain faithful, especially through very difficult times and when encountering difficult people. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 reminds us, Do not grow weary. Hang in there. Be faithful, because in due season, we shall reap and we shall harvest the fruit that we are to bear to the glory of the Lord. I hope you are convinced of this little teaching, but packed with so many things, of the warning against fruitlessness, but also the encouragement and also the way to fruitfulness. May we be found faithful in the Lord and not just have leaves to impress people, but have fruit to show to the glory of Jesus, to bring Him pleasure that when we stand before Him, we can give account and hear those words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You once more for Your Word. Not an easy one to listen to, much less even to declare. But Lord, You have given us the warning but you don't leave us alone. You've also shown us the way. May we lean in. May we depend on you. May we abide always in the true vine of Jesus so that we can bear fruit for your glory and for your kingdom. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining me for another Kingdom 101 teaching. For past teachings, visit our website, kingdom101.archipuswakening.org. Until the next time, this is Hanson signing off. 
stay awakened, aligned, and assigned. God bless you.